Hey, hey Ms. Green, Ma. how's it going? How's I'm it going? Good. <laughs> Can we just talk over each other the distance. entire time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So what do we got today? Well, today I thought we could broach a little bit um, of familiar territory and talk about viruses and flus because we are definitely some unknown, unfamiliar territory here currently in 2020. I know, right? I posted uh, something for my students, letting them know that like this is like living history right now. This is something that uh, will be in the history books one day. I know, and I was just I was trying to tell my kids that as old as I am, you know, and they didn't need to make any comments about my age, but as old as I am, I've never experienced anything like this ever, like not oh, even close. I think in the scope of human history, there's only a handful of events where you can look at the massive quarantine measures uh, that are taking place and say like, oh, this now is like that event in history. And for the United States, I mean, you're going to have to go back a uh, hundred years, a little mm-hmm. bit over a hundred years. But I think historically, we got to go all the way back to the Black Death to find something at this scale mm-hmm. in terms of quarantine and like what we're calling now social distancing uh, and just that level of disruption. Um, so do you want to remind our re- uh, listeners of what the Black Death was? Yeah, um, I do want to do one broach, a little bit of oh, a subject. Oh, something and- else? Well, no, more just like trying to let them know we're not, we are not lightning coronavirus. We are not no. poking fun at it. It is a very, very serious thing. And we definitely want everybody to continue to keep social distancing, stay at home so we don't infect each other. Um, but we are going to try to bring a little bit of humor in because oh, we good. all could use a little bit of humor right now. I, I like that. And I know we've talked about for weeks now, trying to get something fun, uh, lighthearted-ish into the podcast. But I think you're right. I think I've got some stuff at the very end, uh, this interview or, uh, uh, with an epidemiologist uh, about the Spanish flu and how it projects into today that I think would also be uh, helpful in terms of taking things seriously uh, as well. So I like that public service announcement right off the top. Oh, thank you so much. Well All done. right, so let's talk with the Black Plague. 1350, 1347 in Europe, and it is just ravid- It is just decimating everywhere. We right. know that um, anywhere from one t- third to two thirds of the population dies as a result of the Black Death. Now, Loyal viewers do understand this is 1350 and there is no modern medicine yet. So don't freak out about this. Definitely. There were some definitely interesting home remedies used to combat the plague. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So again, keeping in mind that this is predates the scientific revolution, this predates the enlightenment. And by and large, people weren't quite sure how the plague was uh, spreading. And one of the things that's kind of interesting, I read this great uh, book, we'll do a plug for it real quick, called The Great Mortality. Um, We'll get some notes in on the podcast for the author. But he talks about how the Black Death was a series of different uh, events. And so Mm -hmm. each time the Black Death crops up, there's these different types of solutions that -hmm. people were were coming up with. So at the first, like at first, you know, when there was this feeling that this was some sort of religious event, we see home remedies like eating and drinking in moderation. Uh, Or here was a good one, like cleanliness is next to godliness. Have you heard that phrase before? I have indeed. All right. So maintain a proper household uh, so that uh, people know that you are taking things seriously, right? And then it starts to get a little bit wackier as these rounds of plagues start coming through uh, a little bit more. So then this is one of my favorite ones refrain oneself from abusing poor people. Like that was an actual like thing that people were like, if I stop beating up poor people, I probably won't get the black death. 
Right? I'm a little concerned that that even had to be brought up as that a was possible a, that solution. That was a rule. Yeah, like, like that's a remedy. Like, if we just stop beating up the poor people and then, you know, we'll be better off. I'm so going to not lie either because the eating in moderation is not something that I've done to ward off the coronavirus. No, that's, it's been tough. It's been tough. I mean, you're stuck inside all day. Yes. And you got to, like, I feel like this is one of those dark age moments of, like, there's not a lot of food anyway. This is a religious time. So maybe that whole, like, prohibition on on gluttony uh, sort of kicked in for that sort of stuff. Uh, but then we start to see it flip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just where it gets interesting. <laughs> so as we get into like rounds three and four, having stuff like not eating fruit. And I'm just going to say, since this is a socially responsible podcast, eat fruit, eat vegetables. Like there's a lot of good nutrients in there. Um, and that would be really helpful. Um, that would be a lot better than adding aromatic herbs to your beverages. I'm thinking about like uh, the whole like... Um, like uh, herbal oil sort of movement and that sort of stuff, essential say, isn't oils. That, yeah, isn't that like a big thing right now? And for yeah. a fruit plug, I would highly recommend cantaloupe. Oh, we got some good cantaloupe yesterday. My kids were eating this morning. That's a good plug. You found cantaloupe at the store? Yeah. Oh, wow. I know. Hey, hey, there's a an advantage to living in an urban center. That's true. <laughs> um, then there's other stuff that's like, so we had the prohibition on alcohol and that sort of stuff. By round three, we have drink good wine not bad wine, but drink good wine, avoid bad thoughts and stay happy. <laughs> so you're going <laughs> to, yeah. you're going to defeat the black plague by having good thoughts have and avoiding bad thoughts. Those were yeah, that would have, yeah, I would have lasted a day. All right. And then here was one of the ones that knowing what we know now about the black death and how it was spread at least the early phases by fleas and rats and, right. and just general hygiene issues one of the key like consensus everybody agreed on moments was like uh we got to stop bathing if we stop taking so many baths god and if we just like allow like this kind of like noxious like air like when we read these histories all the time we hear about stuff like miasmas i know john green always has fun with miasma like what is that (laughs) um but like maybe the bad foul air around you will keep away the plague. So people well, like, we're getting that stinkier. That doesn't, I mean, that's kind of the idea, like expose yourself to more germs and so you build up your immune system. Maybe that's where they were going. I don't know. No, and there was also this religious piece of it as well, because again, we're, we are predating the enlightenment. We are predating right. scientific revolution here, where it was like, if you change your clothes too much, like that's like showing too much pride and it's an affront to God. And so people would wear the same clothes uh, until they literally rotted off their body. And these are just creating these like perfect incubators for fleas and other grossness. And then we sort of think about like the plague, at least in the second or third round, probably was pneumonic plague. So it was spread right. airborne by cough. Right. And so now you're getting plague particulates and stuff on your skin, on your body. And now they're just hanging out there because plague is a bacteria not a virus it has a lot more staying power in the open than like let's say again coronavirus which Mm -hmm. really only has about uh, a day in really good conditions Mm -hmm. um on most surfaces especially stuff that's going to be exposed to the outdoor elements um because you know they're a virus they just have a little lipid package like a little fat package that they sit inside i am just you know the character pig pen from peanuts yes 
I swear that's all I'm seeing in medieval <laughs> England right now. It's all these it's little pigpens walking people. around. Smelling gross, having good thoughts, not beating up poor people. <laughs> and that's keeping the plague away. And that is a uh, reason why the plague made round after round after round, devastating round for about 300 years until uh, the Enlightenment and scientific rev occurred. So thank you, forefathers, for bathing and figuring out exactly. that uh, uh these silly remedies weren't going to work. Did you come across anything interesting in your research? Not necessarily for the Black Plague, but it is, I will tell you this, um, things don't dramatically improve by the 20th century in terms of interesting remedies. Oh, no. um, yeah, when the Spanish influenza hit in 1918, um, and again, they had a better understanding that they knew it was some kind of bacteria and everything like that, but some of the stuff I, I really could not believe when I was doing researching as to what they thought was going to end this plague. Number one, wearing the color red. Okay, so we got the flu, right? And everybody's getting the flu, just like we get now, but right. way worse. And so we're right. just gonna wear red. Yeah, um, I have a quote for you to really explain why this would work. The quote is this: "The flu is the devil, and the devil don't work with red." <laughs> so if you wore red, you're gonna be able to, you know, walk away from the Spanish flu. I'm not kidding. I can't make this I'm stuff so up. I'm so confused. All right. So first of all, again, I'm not a religious scholar. I'm not a historian, mm -hmm. but I've always seen the devil associated with red. So that's right. confusing right off the top. Right. But then I'm also thinking like, did you see that M night Shyamalan movie, the village? Yes. Wearing red, wearing red was the forbidden color. And then every, every time somebody had red or the forbidden color, the monsters came out of right. the forest and attacked, <laughs> attacked the village. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, oh, man, that was our level of thought in the same time that we've industrialized, that we have fought the First <laughs> yeah. World War, we're, you know, that we are flying, we're only 40 years away from sending people into outer space to the moon, and right. we're just going to go with no red. No red. I'm Solid. not going to lie. I've never seen the devil portrayed either as green or purple. Just never. saying. But never. Never. So I'm thinking maybe those were the colors we probably should have worn, but Solid you know what move. can you do? Um, some actually kind of interesting, like now we have the scientific basis that it might actually work, but um, putting sliced onions throughout your house. Mm, yeah. and, and originally you would think that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard, but onions have a lot of antibacterial properties. Right. So yeah. this actually at least makes a little bit of sense. Yeah. Some of the homeopathic home remedies, uh, when you go back to like the 18th century, you see people wearing like onion pulses to use yeah. the, uh, the antibacterial properties to pull out an infection uh, in your body, get it up to the surface where you can then bleed it out. So, okay, that, that one, okay. That has some grounding and some probably tried and true science. So, okay, good job. All right. Um, I'm going to harken back to King Cholera a little bit right now. Uh-oh. Um, for a common theme, I will tell you, uh, during the Black Plague, it was thought that if you took laxatives or if you mm. got enemas, and for those of you who don't know what an enema is, yeah, look it up. It's not pleasant. Um, you could actually poop out the, the flu. <laughs> I'm Once so again, glad. it would be a crappy way to do it, but you know, what can you do? Crappy way to do it. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, uh, like, and, and again, the Spanish flu was devastating and, it, you know, 2% right. death rate. It's one of the first like real like modern pandemics that like we have mm -hmm. people out in rural Alaska and every corner of the planet. Right. Um, but like, I'm just imagining these people with like 
strings of onions hanging from <laughs> their ceiling wearing Not being able like, to leave the toilet little red riding hood costumes <laughs> on the toilet just like i hope this works today <laughs> and and just knowing that like there's so many reasons why these things would work and, and one of the main reasons this stuff doesn't work is just the way diseases and bacteria spread, right right and i think that gets us into today and what we're talking about right now with coronavirus and this idea of social distancing mm-hmm. and like we got to just take these things seriously and and you know it's one of those like as we shift from goofy into responsible for mm-hmm. a second like the the whole idea behind social distancing is to prevent massive outbreaks of disease and and in the spanish flu that you talked about people were really you know scared and looking for a, a reason uh to uh to oh not a reason but a way mm-hmm. i should say to cure these uh mm-hmm. infections because a the rapidity of, of of spread but also just the idea that people just didn't know what was going right. on even even doctors didn't quite yet they no. didn't quite understand the grasp of bacteria and then how bacteria is transmitted this right. is why when i saw the videos late last week of those no offense, millennials, but most of our students aren't millennials, so it's totally okay. Are it's, you millennial? It's, it's me. I'm a millennial. Oh my God, Mr. Breed. Anyway, I'm sitting late. there, <laughs> sitting there on the beaches in Florida and Texas. Oh, I'm like, I, I don't oh think those are millennials. God, I, I think that's our student generation. So I think that's no, them. that's Generation Z. Yeah, yeah, because no. they're college kids. They're college kids. Oh, they are. Sorry, millennials. Yes. I take it back. Yes, finally, the millennials not getting blamed for something. I'm sure. And I had hope for Generation Z, not anymore. No, well, I mean, and that's it though. I mean, and that's the thing is is how these things spread and, and how you move them around. And I think one of the examples of why this should be taken seriously and why we're, we're, we're you know, harping on these Gen Z kids, shake my fist at them, yeah. is that in Philadelphia in 1918, there was a massive mm-hmm. parade to, you know, celebrate, you know, being American because we're fighting World War One, Right. And, um, Coming out of that parade, we see in nine days this huge spike in mortality in Philadelphia because social distancing didn't occur. But at the same time in St. Louis, mm-hmm. where the, we're talking roughly 900,000 citizens in each one of these different cities, yeah. within two days of the first documented case of Spanish flu, that city was shut down and the mortality rate per 100,000 people in uh, St. Louis mm-hmm. compared to Philadelphia is staggeringly low. If I pull up the stats real quick on this mm-hmm. and just take a look at it, we're talking about a mortality rate that doesn't exceed 50 people, period, out of 100,000. Over the entire, 000. that's for the Spanish yeah. flu? Yep, exactly. But that's when we crazy look at- crazy super low. From September 28th to roughly November 9th, for Spanish flu in Philadelphia per 100,000 people, the mortality rate clocks in at just around 260 people per 100,000. So social distancing really cut it down by 80%. Yeah, and and uh, and again, these are comparable cities, comparable sizes. Right. They're both industrial centers during the war. Like these were were cities where uh, we see two drastically different outcomes, and it's because of that social distancing piece. And you know, it is tough. Uh, you were talking about you know uh, food before we got on. We were talking about the difference between living in suburbs and urban right. areas and getting uh, access to really good food. And uh, despite my reputation at school, I subsist on more than just coffee. Um, and <laughs> since most of my eating takes place at home. Um, but you know, we've had a hard time with like, Oh man, I want to order pizza. I want to have access to some of this good mm-hmm. food. And you know, 
but it's responsible to not you know, put delivery people out there yeah. to not put ourselves in contact with everybody else. And when I looked into historically, like has the, have those types of provisions and measures like been taken, I found a recipe during the period of the black death from England called bubonic plague pub pie. Oh, and delightful. So, so it was this whole idea. And this is in the, the, the late 1300s. So right around that first outbreak of the plague in the public house for uh, our uninformed uh, about English culture was a meeting area mainly for people of lower class status to, to uh-huh. eat, um, to get some nutrition, to get some, some enjoyment, some merriment. It was just like it was the scene. You know, this is where people went for fun. And so you had a lot of people who were missing the scene, but also missing the food because there was a lot of independent vendors coming in selling those pies. And so I found this recipe for pies and I thought I'd share a little bit of uh, just the, what it was like as we close this thing out, uh, what it would have been like to social distance in the 1300s and home remedy your way to success. No, you go for it. You're going to make this pie. Okay. It's a pastry pie, uh, but we're going to refer to the pastry as a coffin in this recipe, not as a pie crust. So every time I, I talk about the coffin, I'm talking about the pie so, crust. So is this meant to be funny or because so. if it's not, that's sick. I hope so. Okay. I okay. mean, everybody's always doing bits, right? I mean, this right. is yeah, everybody's got a bit, everybody's got a pun. All right. Okay. So we're gonna take and make a foil of good pastry coffin with a roll of foot of longer of a portion of coffin paste. Some Again, that's dough, right? And remember, this is like old-timey renovated right. okay. uh, yeah, recipe yeah. stuff. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it gets yeah. really con- confusing. confusing. <laughs> with, with that, though, you can make four coffins of uh, for your pastries, and then you can fill them up with all the things that you want, right? Now, it notes in this recipe that pork, good pork, raw eggs, and salt are going to be hard to come by, okay. and so are cow's milk. So... Now that's kind of similar to today right yeah, now. We exactly, can't get right? beef or milk. Yeah. So you got to get replacers. So oh to replace the meat, you could use figs or raisins or apples or <gasps> pears. There's your fruit. There's your fruits in there, right? Because this is before the prohibition on right. fruit, fruit. But you need some sort of binding agent. And so the whole crux of this recipe, when I get to the end, it talks about the one thing you need to make sure that you have is a lot of sawdust from like oh, cutting that- wood. Mm, fiber. Right. Well, and it's going to hold it all together. Exactly. Right. So you're going to mix into your, your, uh, flour watery mixture, a bunch of sawdust and the, uh, author of the recipe notes, it will quote, create a tasty mahogany, f- uh, flavor and will color it in a way that makes it look like it was baked in an oven. <laughs> Maybe this is why they needed the laxatives and enemas. Yes, exactly. This <laughs> like so. Um, I don't. I, ho- I don't think we're gonna get to the sawdust level. I'm just gonna. I'm just I gonna ho- stake my claim not. here. <laughs> I hope not. I mean, I was just gonna say this is why we should be thankful for like our our grocery store employees and our Amazon Fresh delivery men and all the people who are working al- around the clock to make sure that you know food is accessible um, and out there from you know soup kitchens to food uh, kitchens uh, and pantries uh, all the way up is you know we don't want to find ourselves in a situation where we're eating sawdust, uh, 
wearing red on the toilet right. and and spreading a disease because of our own willful ignorance. Yeah, and I think you bring up a great point, a huge, huge shout out to who you had mentioned earlier, the delivery people, the grocery stops, to our doctors, to our nurses who are on the yeah. front line. And they don't have the option to social distance. And they don't have the option to stay home. And they are fighting the battle for all of us. And so I, we cannot thank them or, or be grateful enough for what Absolutely. they're doing. Absolutely. And I know we have listeners out there who have, have doctors and nurses and first responders uh, in the family. Um, and so big shout out to those people you who bet. are helping out. I know my sister's a nurse and she's getting out there every single day. Uh, and so I'll end with this plug from my sister, if I could, oh, about social distancing and why it matters, uh, especially if you have family members or friends who are in that field. Um, yeah. the, the fewer times we go out, the fewer times we get in contact with each other, uh, the fewer times those people people have to go out and respond and put themselves in harm's way. So even if you're young, even if you're healthy, even if you're bored out of your gourd, which I'm sure everybody's starting to get to that level already, uh, just remember that every time you go out there and put yourself in harm's uh, way, you're putting somebody else in harm's way as well. That, Mr. Breen, that is a great way to end this podcast. So everybody, I hope like we eased your minds a little bit, explained why <laughs> social distancing is important, and then gave a little bit of humor. We all need that in That's trying right. times. Uh, Mr. Breen, what's going to be the focus of our next podcast? Our next podcast, I think we're uh, talking about doing the Cold War, right? We are indeed. So Cold War coming up, that one we have a good opportunity to go 50-50 humor and heavy lifting uh, historical information. Um, and so I've got some fun stuff for the American CIA that I've been dying to share with somebody. Uh, so <laughs> I definitely will make sure that makes its way into the podcast. And it is all sorts of kooky. So oh, fantastic. I am looking to look forward, forward to it. To. Well, Mr. Breen, thank you for joining today. Uh, I'm glad to be here. And let's give a shout out to uh, who made this possible. Let's uh, give a shout out to Zoom. Yeah, no kidding. Um, because they've made it possible for classrooms and educators to get in contact with each other and students all across this country. So a little plug for Zoom. They are not a sponsor. They sure are not. We that. have no sponsorship yet. We're, we are not <laughs> that popular. DIY network here. Um, but uh, yeah, shout out to Zoom for making this possible. All right, then. Well, Mr. Breen, thank you again. Everybody else, thank you for joining Storytime with the Historists, and we will see you next time. All right. See ya.